0: You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy Seven and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals welcome in this is the revenge of the birds podcast we're broadcasting you on the first official day of cardinals training camp it's a bit different this year especially given the fact that we're talking about a training camp that has almost no media presence zero fans in attendance and about two weeks or so ramping up just due to uh, testing amidst the covid19 pandemic and uh It's an interesting time, especially considering the sports landscape. We'll get into a bit of that, talking about some of what we're seeing in Major League Baseball and what it could mean for the NFL. Uh, Before we get going for that one, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter, at BlakeMurphy7. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, the venerable John Venerable, for a quick recap of what we've seen over the last week and a quick projection of what we think camp is going to be. John, how are you doing today before we get started?
1: I'm doing well, Blake, and boy, what a, what a difference a week makes. I think this time last week, we were feeling you know, really optimistic about everything that was going down in, in terms of the NFL landscape, but also sports in general. Major League Baseball had just uh, restarted their opening day. Things were going well, and now we sit here uh, in late July with, with a little bit of uncertainty, and these next several weeks are, are going to be very telling, but as of now, Blake, we're still on track to have training camp and the NFL season start on time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We've right now seen, for the most part, uh, the big news obviously coming out of the MLB with the Miami Marlins. You had a news story broke that two players tested positive for COVID-19. They had a group text apparently versus uh, your typical, you'd think at least, uh, you know, whether it's managers, players. The decision was made to continue and play the game and you ended up with an unfortunate amount of now about 17 or so players have tested positive I believe that also includes um, just the locker room manager things really just escalated quickly you've had a couple of games that have been lost already from their season uh, it was really just kind of more of a shockwave, um, probably the likes of which we haven't felt since Rudy Gobert tested positive for coronavirus in the NBA and the entire league effectively over the course of about a three-hour real-time experience shut down the mlb not going that route yet they're kind of testing some of the other teams seeing a spread happened in between Uh, but right now it was kind of a bit of a shock because the uh, with the protocols being taken with a lot of the testing that was happening the fact that there was still COVID happening and due to and a, couple of, a couple of combinations, part of it seemed to be a little bit lack of distancing as well as uh, the lack of an overall bubble, as we've seen in the NBA. Uh, John, is this disconcerting to you as far as football is concerned? Because from what we've seen, Roger Goodell put out a release, kind of still putting confidence in their system. The fact that the NFL has not started playing games yet, they get at least about another month or so ramping up to all of that. Is this something that's either more encouraging for the NFL to kind of learn from these mistakes, or is it discouraging because it's Kind of reflecting on the question of if we can have sports without a bubble what are some of your thoughts
1: yeah i i think that they've had of course had the benefit of watching these other two major leagues function or not function over the past five months you know we've got such drastic shifts between the major sports leagues the, the of course major league baseball taking their time getting their negotiations settled you know in the court of public opinion and then just attempting to do a very regionally-based schedule, but that includes some in-state travel uh, and out-of-state travel. Uh, and then, of course, the NBA bubble that really is working probably the best right now based on the non increase of, of positive tests. They've done a really diligent job. And that was always, in my opinion, going to be the easiest to conclude. The season had already taken place. You're just focusing on the playoffs. Now the rosters are, are much smaller wing in comparison to certainly the NFL, but then also major league baseball. And then you have what the UFC is doing in terms of Dana white and fight Island, which is also much more manageable when you're talking about, you know, a handful of fighters on a given card that you're able to consistently test uh, on top of, yes, their, their, their training staff, their medical staff, that kind of thing. But that's all, you know, how often are they putting on fights once a week? they big pay-per-view events or once a month. You know, Major League Baseball, I think, was always going to have the biggest challenge because there are so many games, even down to 60 games now, and there's so much out-of-state, out-of-hometown travel, when in reality the NFL doesn't face that. The NFL faces eight road games max. If the season dwindles down, obviously they'll face less. So they're really, you know, you think about, when, when players and teams travel, they typically travel on a Saturday. Maybe they travel on a Friday for a Sunday game. They're in the hotel for, for one, two nights max. They play the game on Sunday, and then they head back to their, their given state, their given location where they stay for the duration of the week. Now, the Cardinals and some other teams – have opted to to do some East Coast stay uh, for you know a road trip or that kind of thing. I, I would imagine that's not happening this year. They're want to get back and forth as quickly as possible, so they have that benefit. The downside to what you know a lot of what the public opinion, the court of public opinion, is saying right now that the fact that they won't be able to conclude their season without a bubble. I just think there there are too many variables when you talk about the the size of. NFL franchises that you need to operate you you're talking about 53 man rosters that don't include practice squads that don't include you know individuals who don't dress on game day um you know training staffs medical staffs coaching staffs front office administration officials there there's just too many and that's that's just one team that's one side of the equation you're going to try to fit all of that times 32 in one spot I I I don't know if it's even feasibly possible to do that. Um, and I also think there was some level of, well, let's kind of wait it out and see what the summer you know, brings. Will will it die off in the heat? Will we flatten the curve so much where it's manageable? It may not be gone, but it's manageable. Right now, I think Blake and you and I can both say on July 28, 2020, that hasn't happened. So they're kind of having to pivot on the fly. They still anticipate everything starting on time. And again, we mentioned this on last week's podcast. They are beneficiary of the fact that they don't need fans to make money. The money comes from the fact that they've got major contracts with every um, major uh, network across the the television landscape. I'm just talking basic cable: Fox, ABC, NBC, CBS. That's how they pay their players. They pay their coaches. Those are billion dollar contracts. Sure, they're going to lose a little bit of revenue. From ticket sales, but I would venture they make some, if not a lot of that back when you talk about things like, you know, subscriptions to Sunday ticket and red zone people who had season tickets that would now reinvest some of that money into those platforms that the NFL uh, benefits from as well. So I I think that at the end of the day, we're going to have positive tests. We're going to have opt outs like we're going to talk about here in a second but I don't think they run the, the same risk that major league baseball does just because of the amount of games and the amount of travel that, that they do. The ESPN's done a big article this morning about how, um, you know, the league didn't, why the league didn't consider a bubble. And, you know, I'm not going to go over the cliff notes here. You can go read that if you want, but it's just, it's, in my opinion, it's just never feasible given the amount of, you know, we can't put society in a bubble and the NFL is like a little society. It's a little community. Uh, it's, just shrunken down but there are just too many variables and I just think that we're going to have to try to make do with consistent one to three day testing ensuring that your players follow the necessary protocol and really a lot of this is just crossing your fingers and if players aren't comfortable Blake they'll opt out but they're going to start a season the question is Blake will they be able to finish the season
0: Definitely agree. The biggest thing that we're seeing right now also is the fact that uh, the NFL does have time if they need to, to delay the schedule. Obviously, they're pushing ahead as much as they can, but everything so far that they've needed to agree to to be on time as far as starting training camps has been agreed to. What I found interesting, John, that is also a bit of a juxtaposition comparing the Major League Baseball to the NFL is the amount of bartering that went on over the course of several days, specifically going over the safety, the uh, safety. Of the players, the testing procedures, the ability, like you said, to opt out, uh, as well as other different types of changes. Uh, one of the changes that we've seen, obviously, with the opt outs, we've already had some news of. We've had about Uh, multiple teams have had players who've chosen either one of the two options for high risk individuals um, ones who essentially will uh, be at more risk of uh, serious complications or in in the worst case scenario death of covid it's about a $350,000 stipend they'll opt out their contract will toll for a year uh, essentially just push back the entire free agency period for those who are about to be free agents or if they've sign a contract on a multi-year deal it'll push that back as well there's also a voluntary opt out for $150,000. Um, dollars we we've seen already a few players on teams like the patriots i think at least at this point but during the day uh you have seven days players have to be able to finalize their opting out or not i've had about six players or so opt out which is seems like about a high number when you consider some of the names that are happening such as a patrick chung and a dante hightower some of it's because they're new fathers. They've got babies and infants at home, and they're just not wanting to risk the life of one of their newborns for um, COVID. Some of it also is just a fact of recognizing, hey, if this is a year where I'm really needing to get paid and getting a long-term deal, I don't want to end up kind of risking you know, the uh, having an extra complication throughout the year for all of that on a long-term deal. There's at least enough money to get by throughout the year. And I know there's probably going to be some players who like even just now seeing an elite player like Hightower opting out of the season. There's going to be some blowback from fans. There's going to be issues that pop up. But so far, John, we have not had any Arizona Cardinals that have opted out of the plan. And I found that interesting, especially considering the fact that, as we talked about previously, they have an owner who's actually experienced, was hospitalized with COVID-19 and recovered in Michael Bidwell. It seems fair to reason that the Cardinals, at least for the most part, are going to maybe be a step at least not, if not ahead in line with everyone else in these matters. And after that, it just comes down to the fact that this is a pretty contagious disease. And I don't know if the fact John speaks that there's not been any player opt-outs we've heard of yet, if it's just a little early in the process or if it says something about the Cardinals this year.
1: I think it's, I think it's early. Um, And I, you know, we're not, Blake and I aren't going to sit here and speculate, you know, the 53 man roster who we think may or may not opt out probably because by the time you hear this, you'll know definitively. But, you know, I will say that you have to factor in, of course, you know, if you're a new parent, if you've, you've welcomed a member into your family, your, your significant other is expecting um, or is expected to, you know, be be pregnant when the season begins, uh, early stages of pregnancy. We just don't know what COVID will, will do um, long-term. That's a, a scary thought. I myself have an 11-month-old, and it's a, it's a scary reality. Um, that I know a lot of players are facing right now I don't have the decision to make of making millions of dollars in, in relation to doing my job so I can't imagine what that's like and, and weighing on them but then you also think about players that have pre-existing medical conditions um, the left tackle for the Patriots Marcus Cannon is a cancer survivor I remember he was coming out at TCU actually fell in the draft had, had first or second round tape and Uh, The Patriots took a chance on him and everything has gone well health wise, knock on wood. But that if you were, you know, if you have a background like that, you are susceptible, you are considered high risk. So, of course, you know, he's going to make the the life decision to opt out. I think he was scheduled to make roughly six million dollars this year has turned into a really nice player. And then I, you know, I threw this out on Twitter. I mean, it makes the 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 signing of Kelvin Beachum roughly 10 days ago. Just that much more alarming. Kelvin Beachum, a longtime left tackle in this league, very capable player, out on the street in mid July, opting to sign with the Cardinals. Right now, he is in contention. Blake, we think maybe to play right tackle, but he's got to fend off Justin Murray, and he's got to fend off um, Marcus Gilbert and maybe even Josh Jones. Whereas, you know, if he had waited a little longer, when this, you know, these. You know, opt out started to take place. I think he would have found maybe a much more um, welcoming free agency. It's it's weird to think like that, but you know, I posed the question at the time he signed. I was thinking more in the lines of training camp injury, and that's down the line. That's another month down the line, and maybe that maybe he just assumed that that wasn't worth waiting for. But I'm sure he's got to be thinking to himself, I I could definitely be in the mix to be the Patriots' left tackle right now certainly know him as a as a competent player in their own division so you'll you'll just start to see the kind of the rippling effects of of all of these decisions that are being made eddie Goldman, who's a really really nice defensive lineman for the chicago bears my home state of, of illinois i know my 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 bear cronies speak very highly of him i think he's been on the team since uh 2015 kind of that old school nose tackle uh, he's opted out. He was a second-round pick in 2015. Just a, just so critical of what they want to do on, defensively against the run. He's not playing this year. So we're starting to see. I think you and I both kind of thought maybe there would be one name that jumps out. There there are several. You know, Hightower is the biggest, but I don't think we're out of the woods yet. You know, there's been some speculatory information that has come out on, on Twitter that could Russell Wilson opt out? His wife, of course, just having welcoming their their, I think their second child together um, over the past week. Would that just be just a seismic shift in the NFL landscape, or would that signal more of this season is completely off the rails? When you have a player of the caliber of, of Russell Wilson, a top five overall, top three overall player in the league, saying, Nope, I'm not risking my family's safety to play this year that would be a very sobering moment and while i you know of course the cardinals would benefit from from russell wilson playing it also would i think signify a greater cause for concern if it if it's not already present blake so we're we're taking this thing like you guys hour by hour but it's a, it's been a very sobering period on on twitter and social media with all these announcements and this is right after much of the NFL rookie class is getting locked up because rookies are are welcome to the facility um, recently. And so we're, we're all trying to focus our attention on football. And then this comes down the pipeline and it's like, oh, yeah, we, we, we have to deal with this now. We have to make sure, you know, everybody feels com- comfortable with the plans that the individual teams are, are putting in place. Otherwise, Blake, they're just they just don't feel comfortable playing this year. And, and who can blame them?
0: Yeah, a lot of it, John. At least seems to just have this uh, overall impact, and like we're, uh, it's it's every single business that's gonna be hit. We've got a couple of people uh, who've already opted out of the MLB who look <laughs> kind of smart now, considering the plans that were in place. And uh, it is interesting, like you said, the fact that the NFL is in a state where there's just not really any type of aspect you can do to create a bubble, unless it's going to be uh, basically on a division by division level. you have to put, you know, two. I think it'd be four teams or so and then two games and then teams would only be able to play each other in division. And it's like, there's all of these complications that go into it. It's part of the reason why we're both not really, I think expecting college football because of a number of reasons. One is that it's just a sheer number that's greater than the NFL, but also the fact the NFL has a contract that they're able to sign where it's like, Hey, yes, I am willing to, Uh, put my body at risk for the game in addition to getting a contract and getting paid. College, it's really that they're there on scholarship, and there's a lot of aspects that could ultimately turn into Uh, Much more lawsuits, I think, for the universities as a result, just given the fact that you're going to have guys who are, you know, sometimes even as young as 17, about to turn 18 are the ones who are there on campus. Uh, Students going back. There's just a lot that goes into all of these aspects. Um, The biggest thing, of course, overall is if the NFL is able to um, have positive tests as we develop, but not see spread happen. That's going to basically be, I think, what determines the season. Uh, John, it's going to be a spot of you can probably get a positive test or two. You just can't have it to the aspect where, like we've seen in the MLB, where you suddenly see uh, seventeen or so people in one organization suddenly turns into canceled games. The NFL does have another advantage of they've got seven days in between games, which means that there's at least examples of being able to take multiple tests, be able to see exactly how guys are after some of the games, even being able to you know take a game out of the schedule, move it to the back end of the schedule, give a full probably about what does that be about fourteen or so days in between games. Games that are played maybe even 15 or so depending on how it works out for Thursday night games um, there's at least some advantages that the NFL has but right now like you said John this is all just educated guessing we really don't know what's going to happen until it goes out so far however uh, the results have not been encouraging for non-bubble just because there's so many tests, tests that are happening just unfortunately in the, this point of the season um, if I had to make a prediction I think that the season ultimately will start on time uh barring any type of, you know, eleven people on a training camp test positive. They basically shut down training camp for two weeks. Suddenly the NFL is like, okay, we're giving unfair advantages to other teams, and start to try to look at maybe having to push some dates back. Outside of something like that happening where they decide to just delay till the springtime, see if things settle down. My guess is that they're going to roll ahead as normal. Uh we know from what Roger Goodell said that there's going to be at least a complete season. It would not shock me if they do end up canceling a few games throughout the season. I still feel Feels like the NFL is definitely trying to push through as much as possible. And that means training camp. What well, we have at least updated from the last time that we were here with you guys, we had a uh, two contracts that had been signed just before our last podcast. Uh, we have since seen the rest of the Cardinals team signed, but also under the new CBA, we've seen a limit to the team's normal amount of uh, people in a camp. You normally have your typical 90-man roster. This year it's only 80 players. The Cardinals were proactive and cut 10 players ahead of time. Um, You're going to probably see those type of players. or Most of the ones who are there on the team will be the Cardinals that you'll see take into camp uh, and into the season. You've also got a new role with a practice squad, having up to 16 players this year, including four who cannot really be Claimed. Uh, there's new practice school uh, practice squad rules in place. You'll be able to have players can go up for a week and then to your roster and then back down to the practice squad. Normally, you'd have to add the person to your active roster and keep them there for three weeks. Uh, You're also probably not going to add someone from someone else's practice squad nearly as much just due to the amount of distancing. Some states have different rules as far as for travel. Uh, This is very interesting, John. Two of the names that were cut were Cardinals quarterback Drew Anderson and pass rusher Vontarius Dora. Uh, I was interested to see that they decided to roll ahead with the CFL player Chris straveller in place of Anderson. Uh, some of that probably has to do with the fact that straveller was a rushing quarterback and had a lot of mobility. Uh, I think we probably could have seen some of this coming, especially after the comparison was made to... Uh, Taysom Hill at the Saints and some of the kind of dual threat aspects of his game. Uh, we'd also saw a couple Cardinals players who still made it onto the roster, at least with some interesting news on one of those in particular. But before we touch on that, John, what are some of your thoughts at least just with these 80 guys heading into training camp right now?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't think it affects the Cardinals too much. Just it's the unfortunate nature of how poorly they've evaluated undrafted free agents during the Steve Keim era. You, you can really only point to maybe Tony Jefferson and Jaron Brown is the two standouts. Tony, of course, being the the most um, highly profiled, efficient player that the Cardinals have have received via their undrafted free agent group. Um, they've never developed an offensive lineman from you know the undrafted free agents during Kimes time. Lyle Sedline was undrafted during Rod Graves' time with the team. Certainly, never a quarterback, which is very difficult to do. Um, Kime is more successful at clearly navigating the free agent waters, trading for players, signing players off of opposing teams' practice squads. I look at somebody like Dan Arnold late in the year. I think that was a very nice addition. Waiver claims, preseason trades, um, and then occasionally he'll hit in the draft. Just the undrafted landscape has not been his his bread and butter for, for whatever reason. The, the players that they've brought in usually – Maybe they stick for a season or two um, as, you know, a a backup linebacker, or somebody that plays on special teams. But he doesn't typically find those gems like a Bill Belichick, which, you know, who operates at that level. The Seahawks do well with their undrafted players. The Baltimore Ravens, um, the Cardinals have just not done done great historically. Tony was the outlier, and they didn't even think enough of Tony to extend him an upgrade in his restricted tag that ended up him leaving to have a nice year with Baltimore and has, you know, since been out of football. But I just, I, I don't, I think it's kind of not overblown. Um, and it's unfortunate for those guys. I, I I've, you know, personally, I, I feel for them not being able to showcase their talent in the preseason with the preseason being scrapped. Now they don't have a chance to to really kind of make a name for themselves. But how many times, Blake, have we, I remember that specific preseason where we were discussing the the quarterback race to, from behind Carson Palmer and Drew Stanton. And they were two kind of undrafted, no name players that were competing for the third QB spot. And after the fourth, after the fourth preseason game, they didn't pick either of them and traded for Matt Barkley. And it l- literally did not matter at all. And that's what I continually go back to is like it's a one percenter that that is going to make an impact from that group with at least for the Cardinals franchise. And I think their draft class is is so deep this year, even though they're behind the eight ball from a developmental standpoint with everything going on. I I think that this is going to be a deep group that's going to contribute. You know, Benjamin, I think, has a really good chance to play. They've got two rotational defensive linemen that are that are clearly going to play if they show they're capable. Josh Jones and Isaiah Simmons roster spots are secure. And then Weaver The sixth rounder plays with his hair on fire and is typical of what you want of an undrafted player. So I just I think as they've continued to strengthen this roster, there is less and less of a of a place for a standout. Um, Maybe you could look at a, a corner where they still lack quality depth. Maybe maybe a pass rusher, but that's that's rich for an undrafted player. And then the offensive line. This is the deepest group of offensive linemen they've had entering a season in in maybe a decade or so. So, I just I think that this is an off season in which, if this was last year and they were gutting the roster from scratch, I would be more frustrated. But they've solidified it these past two off seasons to the point where it would have been difficult for a lot of undrafted players to make this roster.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree, John. It does seem like the team is probably going to be rolling much more with a veteran presence. Uh, I think that, like you mentioned earlier, the signing of Kelvin Beecham seems to definitely indicate that. If you felt like this was a growing year for the Cardinals, if it's a, you know, we're going to try to see if we can get up to eight and eight, maybe for lucky nine wins, that's where a lot of the perception seems to be. I, I don't think the Cardinals themselves have that perception. Now, again, we've seen in the past, we talked about how the, you know, the Cardinals of 2018 were a team we were saying, hey, if they go, you know, between six to eight wins, you're calling that, you know, a successful season while you're developing a young quarterback. Eh. The bottom kind of fell out from there, so perception of where a team is can always be very different from what actually turns out, but uh, the Beecham signing, at this point, we haven't heard. There may still obviously be you know, a tackle or someone who opts out. Uh, It wouldn't shock me at all if, after the contract that he signed, if someone like a Marcus Gilbert decided to take the year off to be able to uh, kind of regroup, get healthy again, and come back at least, but... It does seem more like, John, that that Calvin Beecham contract is without anything that we've heard recently. It does seem like it's more of just, hey, this is a good deal for a solid veteran versus being some sort of emergency last minute type of addition that came out of the blue. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if the Cardinals have any other of those type of signings. Right now, they're only at about five million or so in cap space. It's about how much Steve Kine likes to have each year. Uh, Teams can obviously read. Uh, renegotiate or change contracts throughout the year, pushing money around. And that's since the cap is kind of a lie for the most part, uh, it may not be next year when you're talking about a limited salary cap, uh, but it'll be very interesting to watch and see how that works out. Uh, Two names to be able to kind of bring up that are interesting. Uh, I would at least say that the first one you want to look at is going to be Jojo Ward, who did make it past their original 80 cuts. Uh, he's probably the closest thing the Cardinals have had to a deep threat on the roster, a guy who can run in the low 44s. Four 4s um, Some even said that he could be a 4-3 guy, uh, you know, if, if you get the right day. Uh, he played for, I believe it was, Hawaii. And when you're looking at the Cardinals and how they're built, they really have... Uh, not had a deep threat on the roster at least outside of Andy Isabella and when Isabella had his big plays there was one in the preseason there was the two kind of over the middle separation big gains they had they really just need to have a big deep outside uh, an outside speed threat uh, to kind of take the top off of the defense without having to necessarily rely on DeAndre Hopkins for that uh, that's going to be something at least to be able to watch. Uh, the Cardinals, obviously, are going to be probably bringing in a extra number of wide receivers just due to the fact that they are a team that runs more 10 personnel, which is four wide receivers, uh, no tight ends, and one running back than pretty much any team in the league. Uh, the other name that was dropped, AZ Bobby Mack, Bob McMahon, who covers the team for Arizona Sports. He even had a prediction. He said that he believed that undrafted free agent running back Jonathan Ward, he thought that he may be able to beat out someone like an Eno Benjamin as a draft pick, which is interesting because you look at the two types of players and they're similar in size. The difference being that one is a six foot, 200 pound guy and the other is the uh, Arizona state product. Uh, Fact is though, John, the Cardinals usually end up having four running backs that are available to them. The thing that you look at with DJ Foster is he's been on the team for about three years or so now, former Arizona state back. You've added another Arizona state back now, I just have the feeling that you're probably going to at least need to find someone who emerges behind Kenyon Drake just to make sure that, you know, you don't have an injury history or have issues. You still want to be able to uh, run the ball effectively and have a guy like that. It does feel like to me that if Mort is impressive enough, you might not need to go out and sign one of those remaining uh, free agent running backs. I believe Lamar Miller is still out there. There's, I think, a Devonta Freeman, a lot more expensive, at least, is still out there. Uh, we've seen the Cardinals and other teams bring in guys like that before. Carlos Hyde is a great example last year. Texans signed him, and he got, I believe, uh, close to 1,000 yards at some point throughout the season, or at least was in that uh, role for the most part of a lead back on uh, first and second down for them. Those are the two names that stand out the most. It'll be interesting to hear if there's anyone else. But like you said, John, it does seem like cornerback behind Patrick Peterson, who's in a very crucial year for his future. Uh, Robert Alford coming off a year-end injury. And you're talking about Byron Murphy, who some have wondered if he's better as a slot guy, uh, taking 33rd overall next year is in his second year as a player. There's a lot to still figure out in the cornerback position. Uh, It wouldn't shock me at all if the Cardinals either made a signing or one of their undrafted guys end up getting elevated, potentially even making the final 53 if they perform well enough.
1: Yeah, first, I'll touch on the running back situation. I think fresh legs, young legs in this league win. And I think that the Cardinals have gone the veteran running back route. Too many times in this league and been burned, um, the Halls of the world. You know when they extended Chris Johnson, David Johnson, as he as he got older. I I just don't think that that's the the likely scenario for this team outside of injury. I think they look at, of course, Kenyon Drake is. They're paying him eight million dollars this year. He's going to be their bell cow. You know Kingsbury is going to play him predominantly ninety percent of the time. They, he likes to use one back and one back only. And if somebody something happens or they need to be you know, spelled for a little while, then they, then he rotates. But he, he, he's relying on on a one back set. Um, Chase Edmonds is somebody I think this front office has a lot of um, hope in. I think they're very impressed with his physical skill set. Um, he's impressed me in his two seasons. He was a fourth round pick for a reason. That's a high draft pick for a running back. Certainly a starting capable running back. Um, Destroy. Go watch his tape against the New York Giants last year. Very impressive. What, what he was able to do, even on, you know, against a, a team like that, in the rain, in the elements, you know, at, I think, MetLife Stadium, whatever they call their stadium, and just torched them for over 120 yards and three TDs, capable of catching the, the, the rock out of the backfield. If he had to start a handful of games this year, I'd have no problem with it. And then e- Eno is the wild card, certainly was the bell cow at ASU, but I look at him maybe in, in his initial year as kind of like a LaRod Stevens howling, could, could he return kickoffs? Could he be a third down capable back if they needed him to be? I just think he's he's more clearly more elusive than D.J. Foster. His upside is higher. Um, and, you know, D.J. Foster last year when, you know, they had a, a slew of injuries at the running back position, they didn't turn to him. They went out and got Kenyon Drake for a reason. And, and D.J. Foster was a, a darling of the previous coaching staffs. So it wasn't, you know, Kingsbury's guy. I mean, you know, Benjamin was – Kingsbury's guy in this draft, albeit a seventh round pick, they wanted to bring in Kenyon Kenyon Drake because they thought he fit what Cliff wanted to do. And then Chase Edmonds was impressive for Cliff and Cliff's system. So I think he knows got got the leg up. That's the easiest position to translate in the NFL. Um, so you know, I, if he wasn't given a shot to make the team, um, especially with his ties to ASU, I just think that that's a that's a perfect marriage um, as far as the cornerback position. Blake, I think it's much more likely they're going to go out and sign a veteran corner or trade for one or, you know, pick up one off of waivers. Kaim has always done that in the preseason. Antoine Quezon, I think, was a late addition. Um, Cromarty was a late addition in the offseason when they brought him in. Uh, Marcus Cooper, they traded for him in the preseason. I think, I think they dealt him for Anthony Sherman, who, who's been a really good fullback for the Kansas City Chiefs. That's where Kime has made a lot of his late additions has been at the cornerback position. So um, I think they've, they've got enough youth now with, with Byron Murphy having taken his licks last year and to a lesser extent uh, Kevin Johnson, you don't really know what you have in Robert Alford at this, this point. And Patrick Peterson seems motivated on a one-year deal at the age of 30, but I just think bringing in somebody of a, a proven veteran just to give you you know some experience on the back end, so you don't end up where you were last year in Week One, where it was Byron Murphy and a, a bunch of no names. I think they'd be they'd benefit from that. So you know, who knows? We could see the equivalent of a Kelvin Beachum signing at corner. Uh, of course, the hot name is Logan Ryan. He was on the NFL's top 100 recently. He remains unsigned. Was formerly with the Tennessee Titans last year. Is a listen when he's when he's good, he could be a Pro Bowl caliber corner. Um, I just think probably at this point is it was a little too rich. They're already paying Peterson a premium. They're paying Robert Alford a premium. They invested a, the 33rd overall pick last year in, in somebody in Murphy that we're both high on. So I think it'll be more of a mid-level third or fourth corner, which is listen, you play you know four or five corners on a given on a given play. You've also got flexibility that Buddha Baker gives to you. Isaiah Simmons. Now I was impressed with Jalen Thompson in coverage, so they'll make it work. You know, to me, Blake, it always goes back down to can they apply enough pressure? I'm much more concerned about the opposite edge rusher position to Chandler Jones um, than I am you know, who the fourth corner is today.
0: Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see, especially considering with Alford, it, like you said, it is essentially a gamble at this point. Um, my the, the hope that I think a lot of fans would have is that this would be much more of a previous Falcons signing and Corey Peters, who missed the entire 2015 year. Rodney Gunter, who's a rookie draft pick, stepped up and played in the nose tackle role uh, in a very efficient way. And then Peters came back and turned out to be for all that intents and purposes, an underrated stud. Ever since then, he's been one of the leaders on that defense. Your hope is that that would be the case for Robert Alford, that he'd be able to come back in, uh, be able to be that second guy opposite Patrick Peterson. Um, yeah, John, I think that if you can tell me at least that one of the two approaches here for the Cardinals will be able to work if it's signing a guy like a clowny and rotating him in with a Devon Kennard, um, having some blitzing from uh, Isaiah Simmons or just allowing him to be able to cover in that aspect to say, Hey, just go get tight ends this year, bud. We got the other pass rushers. We're good to go. Or if you're going to say, hey, let's go out and make sure that our secondary is set, let's grab a guy like a Logan Ryan, make sure that we can get four or five great corners, having two solid safeties, being able to have great coverage down the field. The Cardinals were 31st in coverage last year, uh, mostly due to the fact that they did not have their starting two corners for uh, three quarters. Uh, I was just say not three quarters of the season, I'd say uh, if you can <laughs> basically only eight, uh, Was it 10 games last year total for both of their starting two corners after Peterson's suspension? If you're able to have that kind of coverage that gives your pass rush time to get there, I'm good with that too. I think, like like you said, it does feel like that the emphasis is on the defense this year Um, just because the offense, there's expectations that we have of them being able to improve in Murray's second year. And the fact that the defense was just absolutely atrocious. Uh, We're going to go over our top training camp storylines to close out. But before we get there, uh, the NFL Top 100 has been airing this week. We had a two, I guess you could say surprise names that made it this year. Uh, At number 97, you had Cardinal Safety Buddha Baker, his first time appearing on the list. Uh, And at number 90, you had Kyler Murray. And then dropping only a few spots from number 60 last year, the uh, eternal Larry Fitzgerald. He's the one who ended up being there, who was on the list. Um, John, what do we have as far as for... It seems like that in some cases, Josh Allen went previously, some other safeties went. Um, the good news to me, at least overall, real quick on this, because the NFL 100 is just voted on by the players, is that Chandler Jones has not gone in the top 40, and your assumption is that that means he went from not being on the list to finally getting some of the respect that he deserves being in that top 40 list of NFL players.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's very um, rewarding for him, I'm sure. Because I think his reputation has been diminished by the Cardinal franchise. I hate saying that, but I mean, he was a very prominent player with New England. Then he came to Arizona and he had superior stats and has been given next to zero recognition outside of this past year. Um, And he's on a Hall of Fame trajectory in terms of statistics, but the Cardinals just haven't done enough winning. They haven't been relevant enough. And it's, and it's disappointing. Um, so I'm excited for, for what hopefully will be a top 20 to 15 finish for Chandler this year in route to what we both think is going to be a monster season. And then of course, Kyler, Larry Buddha, all having respectable showings on the top 100 list. And I don't really care so much about where they're ranked. I just, you get as many players as you can on the list. I think it's more about quantity than the quality of the spot itself. No, of course there'll be outliers. If if Chandler Jones was number ninety, we'd have a problem. But uh, I will say that you know if Patrick Peterson makes the list, that's going to, and then of course DeAndre Hopkins, that's going to give them six players entering this year. That's a really healthy number. I've always said that if you are to be considered, I didn't make this up. I, I read this somewhere. But if you're to be considered a championship team or a contender, you have to field at least ten Pro Bowlers on your roster. Um, And the Cardinals aren't there yet, but they're slowly inching to that Blake. And I don't think either one of us would consider Larry Fitzgerald a pro bowler at this point, but you know, you get the point that I'm making. You need high end capable players between 10 to 12 and and you're, you're putting yourself right there. And one of those of course, has to be the quarterback position. So I was excited to see um, not only um, Kyler represented, but Larry as well. I think we both felt Buda was going to be a representative on the list. So Um, This time next year, we should be talking about even more Cardinals on on the top 100.
0: All right, let's wrap it up with a quick rapid reaction. I got an article that should be dropping on Revenge of the Birds uh, either uh, later this afternoon or tomorrow morning with the top five training camp stories. And we'll see if we can agree or disagree on the order here. We'll do a quick one sentence or two sentence reaction. For number five, I've got what's the Who's going to step up behind Kenyon and Max? Are we going to see another tight end be able to step up? And if Kenyon Drake goes down, will the Cardinals have a running back who's able to help carry the load? Your thoughts, John?
1: Yeah, I think Dan Arnold is going to supplant Max Williams. I think he's going to be their primary tight end this year because I think he's such a threat receiving standpoint, and I think they're very high on him. And then, of course, Chase Edmonds, my guy that I mentioned earlier, um, hopefully he doesn't have to start because that means – Kenyon Drake is killing it, but Chase Edmonds is is ready to step in. They don't need to sign a veteran.
0: Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see Arnold this year. Uh, He ended the season with, I believe, over 100 yards uh, or just under 100 yards receiving. I'd have to look that up. And two touchdowns It was quite a finish considering the fact that he was only with the Cardinals essentially for three games. Number four, I've got – this was a tough one for that one. I kind of had to split it, so it's kind of a 4A, 4B. I have who's wide receiver two on the team and who's wide receiver 4 and the thing about the who's wide receiver two? the answer to that one is if it's not Christian Kirk is there going to be anyone else who's able to step up or see in the absence because you've got a Larry Fitzgerald if he's still the number two behind DeAndre Hopkins you're probably going to be having a lot of issues as far as looking at the guys in Kirk Isabella Butler Johnson behind them I think the Cardinals really do need to be able to see who's going to be that wide receiver to this year and if it is someone like Kirk or Isabella or Butler or Johnson I think that you are then going to be in great position because because then we're not having to enter the 2021 or 2022 offseason wondering if Fitzgerald's going to have to come back and save the cards again. Your thoughts?
1: I think it's Kirk all the way. I think he's going to eclipse a thousand yards. Um, his explosiveness. He's going to benefit from Hopkins being double covered, drawing the attention of number one corners as will Larry. But I think Kirk's going to be too explosive this year. He's number two and number four. I'm going to give you a little bit of a curveball. I think it's Keyshawn Johnson. Keyshawn had a really strong start to the season last year is just much more of a polished player than somebody like Isabella. Hakeem Butler is a complete unknown right now, and I could see in when this offense is, is at its height and its power, I think Keyshawn Johnson could finish the season with 500-plus yards receiving.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting if the Cardinals play uh, tight ends more this year as far as seeing uh, Dan Arnold supplant Max Williams, I guess we'd see a lot less of the likes of Isabella or Keyshawn. Uh, Number three, the defense. Can the defense go from atrocious, or maybe you can even call it bad, by the end of the season – to being good. That to me, I think, is one of the biggest ones. If the Cardinals, they don't have to field a top ten or an elite defense. Obviously, if you can, that basically could cement you as a playoff team. But if they can just be a average to good defense this year in the second year of Vance Joseph, I think that's a tremendous win for the Cardinals and their push for the playoffs.
1: I think correct. I think they can be average. I think they lack quality depth up front on the defensive line, certainly unproven. I am concerned about who's rushing the passer opposite Chandler Jones. I didn't love the Canard signing, and I think while well, I like the the back end talent, they're fragile in the secondary. They're an injury or two away from being very vulnerable with that group. They're reliant on some guys taking huge year two leaps, that being Byron Murphy and Jalen Thompson, and I would even a lesser extent Deontay Thompson. And we're also putting, I think, unrealistic expectations on an Isaiah Simmons, who, yes, was drafted eighth overall, but has not participated in any kind of team on field activity since being drafted. So I think best case scenario, you end up in the late teens and that will be enough to get them into the postseason with their offense.
0: Yeah, we didn't have time to really go over or go in depth with it. Uh, The Seahawks traded two firsts, a third, and Bradley McDougal for Jamal Adams. There is a tweet someone sent out that compared um, some of the signings of a Jamal Adams, uh, also compared the Isaiah Simmons draft pick for someone who can cover tight ends, be able to rush the passer. There's, I think, six and a half sacks for Adams last year. Uh, But like you said, John, it's a big difference between being a rookie who comes in and being able to um, be a veteran player who's acquired I think the expectations for Simmons are going to be very different in this time of COVID-19 just because the development will be difficult but if they can get something extra out of Simmons whether it is in rushing the passer being on the line or you know being able to um, just get that tight end coverage that will be a tremendous boost for the Cardinals because then you probably will have a lot more depth on the front seven given the fact that he can do pretty much anything it seems on the football field
1: yeah I will say this on the Adams trade, Blake, I was critical of it. I still think it's an overpay, but I also think that the Seahawks are looking toward next year's draft, the uncertainty surrounding it, the fact that they are likely going to pick in the back end of the first round, and they probably think to themselves, you know what, we're okay sacrificing an additional one on top of the one that was already in the asking price to get a player like Jamal Adams on top of the fact that They're in win-now mode with Russell Wilson. I can appreciate the aggressiveness. I just wouldn't make the trade myself um, because of the fact that he is not a impact front seven defender that applies pressure consistently. I know he had six and a half sacks last year. I put a poll question on Twitter a day before the trade went down, asking Cardinal fans that they would trade first, a second, and Jalen Thompson. Uh, The first and the second, I'm assuming, would be in different draft classes For Jamal Adams, it was 80-20. Cardinal fans wouldn't do that deal. And the Seahawks surrendered much, much more. Um, So if, if you're one of the people that voted no against that, then my guess is you're not disappointed with what the Seahawks had to pay, Blake.
0: Yeah. uh, For me, John, I think I'm not disappointed either, because if you told me that it was a choice between Buda Baker and two first round picks versus just getting Jamal Adams, probably if I'm the Cardinals, I'd give up two first round picks and add it to a different type of position overall. So I wasn't disappointed by the trade. It does feel like that it is a move that the Seahawks made in a win now mode, but also safeties and uh, guys who are on the box and on the line like that who can hunt down mobile QBs is very important. Makes me wonder if Seattle is trying to anticipate some of the Cardinals um, with kind of a counterpunch in that regard. Uh, The reason why, obviously, uh, number two that I had in the list was Kyler Murray. Can he take the next step? Um, That one seems to be, I think, the biggest one, John. That's Cardinals-focused because the number one story for all of this, obviously, is going to be the coronavirus and its impact on the game. That's the biggest story we'll monitor through training camp. Uh, Your thoughts, at least overall, on Kyler as we wrap up this episode today?
1: Yeah, I think he's the leader of this franchise, and he will set the example that the team – Will hopefully follow. He's a homebody. He even admits he's he's made for he's made for quarantine. Doesn't like to leave his house. So as long as he's healthy and 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 COVID free somehow, the Cardinals are going to be very competitive this season. So I have huge expectations. Um, and I think he holds himself in the highest light, in the highest regard as a player. And so that, that's all you can ask for from a young quarterback. So expectations are are a mile high, Blake.
0: Absolutely. Well, as more info comes out, we'll try as best as we can to uh, whether it's trying to check in with people who are nearby camp or other sourcing, we'll get that to you. Obviously, it's very different for the training camp experience this year. Not nearly as much coverage or access, which is only natural. And that will also wrap it up for us today on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Again, you can listen in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, places like Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, or any other place that you listen to your podcast specials. Hopefully have more content for you throughout the season. Uh, We're back to weekly shows now as we build up toward at least what we believe is the start of the season. I'll be going into by, uh, I think it's uh, uh, twice a week shows at least once the season does start, and we'll see where it goes from there. It's definitely an unprecedented time uh, we're here to kind of experience all of that with you the fans thanks again for listening and go Cardinals